Hello, and welcome to First Importance, the preaching and teaching ministries of First Baptist Church, West Memphis, Arkansas. Our prayer today is that you will be blessed and encouraged by the message to come. If you have your Bibles, would you join me in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1? Luke, chapter 1. We have three more Wednesday nights together before Christmas. And we will use each of those to go through Luke chapters 1 and 2 together and look at the things that preceded the birth of Christ and and look at the Christmas story together. The title of my message tonight is The Birth Announcements. The Birth Announcements. When Sarah and I found out that she was going to have Bo. It was a very exciting time in the Hall House. And she has told me what many people have told me before. Josh, don't tell anyone until we've decided how we're going to tell. I said, of course, sweetheart. That's our news. But it's just such good news. And so we found out later on in the week. And so Sunday morning, uh, uh, we were at church, and we are getting ready to leave, and Brother Billy and I are walking out together. The very first person I told was, hey, Brother Billy, you can't tell anyone, <laughs> especially Sarah. <laughs> I've told her I won't tell anyone, but Sarah is pregnant. We're going to have a baby. And he was, and actually Sarah had already gone out to the car, and she was watching, and I was like, you can't me a high five right now. You can't even hug me right now. She'll ask what it's about. But we're we're having a baby. I was so excited. I'll never forget making the announcement to, to everyone and to telling it. I mean, slowly, by the time we made the announcement, I had slowly just, it had just, I couldn't help it, okay? <laughs> Don't entrust me with those kind of good news things because I can't help it. I mean, to, to tell our family, to tell those that we love that have been praying for us. We were just so excited. And a few weeks ago, uh, something came up on my phone and reminded me of when we did our gender reveal party for Bo. Okay, that's a big deal now. We didn't do anything uh, for Bell, okay? Uh, we had our hands full of Bo at the time. But for Bo, we had gotten all these uh, balloons and put the color of confetti in there uh, that the child, uh, blue for boy, pink for girl, okay? And uh, I think it's only supposed to be like, it's supposed to be a surprise for the parents. But of course, I knew about it. And I probably told other people about it before we had it. But we got my family together. We taped all these black balloons up and they poked them with something. And then the blue confetti came out and there was just this celebration. There's something extraordinary. Something that just fills your heart with joy like a birth announcement. In every circumstance, whether they are circumstances that are great or circumstances that you don't want it necessarily to be that way, a child is always welcome and loved. You're always excited about the birth of a child. And beginning the Gospel of Luke, we read of two miraculous, wonderful birth announcements. Really, one of them is miraculous. Uh, in in the biblical sense of the term. Let's begin in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Luke chapter 1, verse 1. 
And I want you to see uh, some wonderful things with me in chapter in the, in the Gospel of Luke, chapter one, verse one. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. Uh, we've begun our text tonight. Let me pray for us, and then we'll dig in. Father, speak to us tonight through your word. It's in the name of Jesus I pray these things. Amen. In our first verses tonight, as we look at the Gospel of Luke, I want you to know something uh, very joyous for the believer, especially for the 21st century believer, because we don't follow a bunch of myths. You know, we don't follow a bunch of fairy tales. And we don't follow just the, the uh, age-old stories that have just been passed down from generation to generation that have no reliability. But the Scripture has great reliability. When you come to God's Word, you can bank on it. Notice what Luke says here in the first four verses of this chapter. He is saying that he has studied diligently. He is saying that, saying that he has undertaken to compile this narrative of things that has been accomplished among us. He wanted to do this so that, he, that Theophilus would have, in verse 4, certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. Friends, I want you to know today that when we celebrate Christmas and each and every day when you think of the life of Jesus, when you talk to him each and every day through prayer, when you study and gaze upon him in his word, you can do so with certainty. God's word is certain. And the accounts that we have been given about Jesus are altogether different. You cannot put the Bible in the same category with the Quran. And you can't put it in the same category with the other religious texts that have been written. Not with the Book of Mormon or the Pearl of Great Price. You can't put the Bible in with all these other things. Because all of these other books don't have certainty in them. They don't have validity. But here we see eyewitnesses. Carefully studying what has happened. And more than that, we know that the Holy Spirit is carrying Luke along as he is putting pen to paper. And he is writing this for us so that we may be certain. Friends, we can be certain of the things that we read in the Bible. Let me just encourage you. That's such good news. You're not certain about a lot of things in this world today. But there's one book that will never lead you astray. There's one book that you can always count on. That's God's Word. His holy, infallible, inerrant Word. And let me just make this statement before we dive into the real meat of our text today. Many people would say that the accounts of the Gospels, that the letters written in the New Testament, are not reliable because they come from biased witnesses. And so they would say, well, they knew Jesus. And so they were willing to embellish, or as time went along, they embellished more of what the things that Jesus had done. And all I, 
All I say to you and to those people is this. If Jesus had done those things for you, you would be a biased source. Of course you would be. Of course you would say, yes, he did this for me and I love him. He, he, raised my, he raised my brother, Lazarus, back to life. He healed my brother from his blindness. He healed my sister from her disease. There were no unbiased witnesses to Jesus. They either hated him or they loved him. Here we know that, that we have an orderly account. Now let's look at the first birth announcement that is made in chapter 1 and verses 5 through 25. And this is the birth announcement of John the Baptist. This is the birth announcement of John the Baptist who was foretold that he would come and prepare the way before the Lord. And I want you to notice as we look at this birth announcement, I want you to notice a very bleak background for the birth of the Baptist. Say that five times fast. A very bleak background for the birth of the Baptist. Look at me in verses 5 through 7. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. The good news of this birth announcement is put on this very bleak backdrop. King Herod is the first of the Herods, and of all of his, uh, of all of the things that he had given to his society, he had done a lot of. It seemed a lot of wonderful things for the people of Israel. His father had saved Julius Caesar in battle, and so to repay him, uh, Julius Caesar had put his father Antipater in a position of authority, and Antipater had taken his son Herod and made him the first king uh, in that line over Judea. He was a master architect, and the people that he surrounded himself with, he did a lot of wonderful things throughout Israel. It had been years it had been years since they had had any real leadership and any throne. And so he comes in. He is an Edomite. That means he is not from, uh, he is not from uh, the, the child of promise, but he is from Esau. And so he comes from that line, but he will be king over Israel. And he's placed there by the Roman Empire itself. Many architectural things he's going to do. He's going to rebuild the temple. He's going to uh, build, uh, rebuild Samaria. He's going to build a great fortress. He's going, to, he's going to build great port cities. And the people, for the most part, are really going to love Herod. As a matter of fact, you will read in the New, New Testament of people who referred to themselves as Herodians. Uh, they loved him. And one of the reasons why is when uh, Israel was going through a particularly difficult time, uh, King Herod would take his gold in his own palace and he would melt it down and buy food for the poor people of Israel who had no food. He was a man who was famous for those things. He lowered taxes for the people of Israel and they, for a period of time, really loved Herod. But for all of those attributes, what he's most, most known for is his violence. He was a violent man. He killed his wife. He killed 
her mother. He killed her brother. He killed uh, his children. I mean, you know it's bad when the Roman emperor says it would be better to be one of Herod's pigs than to be one of his sons. He was a violent man. Here a man who is not from the seed of David is sitting on the throne of Israel. I mean... He seems like he is providing for them and taking care of them, but he's leading them wrong. We learn even more of his violence uh, uh, later on when the wise men come to seek out Jesus and he manipulates them and he says, when you find him, tell me where he is so that I too may come and worship him. But he did not care about worshiping Jesus. All he wanted was him dead. And when he found out that those wise men had tricked him, he went in and without care, with callous, killed all of the infants of Bethlehem. It's a bleak background with King Herod on the throne. But then we meet our central personalities in this text, Zechariah and his wife, Elizabeth. For years, uh, they had served in his capacity as being a priest. He had served faithfully. The Bible says here, he was righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord, but they had no child Because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years, especially during the New Testament time. This would have been, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's painful for all those who go through those, those circumstances in this life of being unable to have children, but especially in the New Testament era. When it's in the Old Testament, when it seemed like this must be God's judgment upon you, perhaps. Zechariah and Elizabeth are not as righteous as they have led on. It's a very bleak background. But now let's look together in verse 8. And I want us to see the birth announcement. Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Two times a year, His division would be called up and they would go from ministering in their localities and their place to come to the temple to minister in the temple. And it would have been the honor of all honors. Most priests would have never gotten this opportunity, but he was given the opportunity, it seems by chance, but we know it was by providence to enter into the temple. And it was his duty that day to go into the temple and to keep the incense burning and to come right out. He would have walked straight in, uh, performed that duty inside of the temple and walked straight out. And there he would have pronounced a blessing. And what an honor of a lifetime that God had another plan. Verse 10. The whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And so he, there's this ceremony. He, he, there's this prayer going on. He walks inside the temple. Something, again, you and I come inside the church uh, at any point in time. It wasn't that way with the temple. It wasn't that way. Zechariah, this was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for him. Verse 11. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar 
of incense. He went to go perform his duty as priest to the Lord. And as he comes into the temple, to the right of the altar of incense, there is an angel of the Lord. Verse 12, And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. This is the... This is, this is the response of everyone when we encounter the supernatural. When we encounter, people often refer to spiritual things kind of very casually. But every time that an angel appears uh, to someone in the scriptures, we generally see the response of fear. Because standing before them is something altogether different. This angel is standing before him and Zechariah is filled with fear. But the angel says to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. Oh, for years and years they had prayed for a child and now they were beyond the years where it's expected that they could have children. And they just counted it off as they were just some of those who were unfortunate who would never be able to have them. But here, the angel announces to Zechariah that their prayers had not gone unanswered, that their, their, their prayers had not gone unheard, but that God had a different plan for their lives. And now, here in their twilight years, they would raise a child, you shall call his name John, verse 14, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. Here he's saying there's something very unique and special about John. He is the prophet who is coming before Jesus. To make the path straight. And so his life will look dramatically different. Verse 17. He will go before him in the spirit of power of Elijah. To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. And to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So his joy. Zachariah's joy. Is exponential at this point. He's finally going to have a son. It should be. He's finally going to have a son. And his son, his boy, will be filled with the Holy Spirit from the womb. His son will be the one that goes before Jesus and makes the path Straight. His son is going to follow almost in his daddy's footsteps. His son's going to be a priest or in the same line of work at least. You think there would be great joy here, but what is Zechariah's response? Verses 18 through 25, I want you to see the fulfillment of this promise. Verse 18. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. Now keep in mind where he's at. Uh, there is no one else in the temple. 
It is obvious to him that this is an angel. He is gripped with fear. The angel has told him what is to happen, and he still doesn't believe. After all, he's had too many disappointments in his life, too many times of false hope. He has resigned himself, he and his his wife, to never have children. And it seems, even here, as he's afraid of this angel, it still seems far-fetched. Verse 19, and the angel answered him, I am Gabriel, and I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until that the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. So the angel speaks very boldly to him. You want a sign? I'll give it to you. You can't speak. You won't be able to talk. You refuse to take my word for it. You refuse to hear me, Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. You won't be able to speak until your son arrives. And so it happens. Verse 21, and the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. He was supposed to be right in and right out. Go in, take care of the business, come right out, do your job in in saying the blessing. Y'all will pray, y'all will sing, and then the ceremony will be over. Something must have happened to Zechariah in there. They're all beginning to get concerned. And when he came out, He was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. So he comes out, he is unable to speak. And we learned that in the coming days, verses 24 through 25, we learned that in the coming days, Elizabeth becomes pregnant with John the Baptist. That's the first birth announcement. Now let's look at the second one. Next week we're going to look at the actual birth of John the Baptist and the week after that the birth of Jesus. But now let's look at the real miracle that is about to take place. John was born by natural means. But here we'll find something peculiar. Something that has not occurred before. And will never occur. Verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. I've read a lot of commentators. I, I try not to... I try not to spend too much time there. I want to learn as much as I can. But I've read a lot of uh, so-called theologians who go out of their way to try to make the miraculous events of the Bible fit into a natural narrative. And so there would be many people who would say, well, Jesus didn't really have to be born of a virgin. But friends, I want you to know that one of these great miracles that occur here is that Mary uh, is pregnant with a child and she has never been intimate with a man. 
Mary was a virgin. She was betrothed to a man. She was betrothed to Joseph. But at this point in their betrothal, they had yet not consummated their marriage. Her name was Mary, verse 28. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly what? Troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High God. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. This great and glorious news. You are to have the Son of God. You are to have the one that will sit on the throne forever. It's not Herod. It's not these political leaders. He has sent his son. Verse 34, Mary said to the angel, very matter-of-factly here, how would this be since I am a virgin? Did not ask for a sign. Just simply asking. Verse 35, the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Listen to Mary's response in verse 38. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Notice Mary's response. I mean, she had to have known. Maybe she didn't know in full. All of the judgment that she would go through. Mary was, in all likelihood, a very young teenager at this point in time in her life. And yet God had looked upon her and smiled upon her. She was the one who was to carry Jesus. And her response to all of this is, let it be. Let it be to me according to your word. I am your servant. As we enter into this Christmas season, we need to begin just by looking here at these two birth announcements. God doing a wonderful work in the life of Zechariah and Elizabeth and bringing about John the Baptist who would prepare the way and then him making this glorious announcement through Gabriel to Mary. He's finally here. He's finally come at the right time. By the way, everything God does is perfect. Jesus came at the exact right time. In human history. People have said. Well if he would just come today. By the way Jesus is coming again. 
And when he comes again, he will not come as the meek and mild servant who will die on the cross. When he comes again, he will come uh, arrayed in his battle armor and prepared for battle. There is coming a day when he is coming for judgment. But here we see in this beautiful and wonderful and miraculous way the birth announcements of both John the Baptist and of Jesus. Next week we'll look at the birth of John the Baptist And the week after that, the birth of Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time that we've had together. And now as we turn our time to prayer and to praying for one another, I pray that we wouldn't just put this off as just something we do at the end of our services or that it wouldn't be just a tradition. But Lord, as we pray together, I pray that we would truly bear one another's burdens and lift up one another in prayer. And we'll give you all the Glory, honor, and praise for all that you're going to do during this time of, of our prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this episode of First Importance. We invite you to check out our other sermons on this podcast and to join us in person on Sundays at 8.30 or 10.45 a.m., as well as streaming live on Sunday mornings at 10.45. We hope to see you soon at First Baptist West Memphis, where we love God, care for one another, and share the gospel.